Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brandon Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You'll notice that we dropped our Ultra Deluxe moniker this week. I think that was like kind of a failed experiment. I don't even mean I thought it was a normal episode. I don't, yeah. I don't think we did anything different than we usually do. Well, I don't know. We, like It was shorter. You know, we focused on one game, <laughs> uh-huh. 30 minutes. Like, yeah. it just seemed like it's I, I look to be totally frank. It seemed like a good idea. We've heard your feedback. You want like kind of what we've been doing. So uh, we'll stick to that. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's fair to say the feedback was universally negative and uh, we've learned our lesson. We've learned Um, our lesson. Yeah, absolutely. The feedback said stuff like there there's there's not there's no Gex content one. Right. And that was actually the, the biggest note. Uh, yeah, if I remember correctly. Was that so. we just didn't say the word Gex. So yeah. we've now said it twice. So hopefully <laughs> that should be good. So that that's one for this episode and then one to, you know, go retroactively into last episode. So I think I think we're good there. But, you know, people people want us to talk about like just, you know, more video games. So uh, that's that's what we did. We played more video games this week than just the one. And we have more to talk about. Here we are. The Fool's Journey there and back again. <laughs> uh, all bits aside, Brendan, I'm so excited to talk about this game today. Yeah, uh, there's a new game that is out on Game Pass, if you have it, and PC. And Switch. Oh, it's on Switch? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. It is yeah. called Citizen Sleeper, developed by Jump Over the Age, I believe, and published by Fellow Traveler. Mm-hmm. It is hard to describe. It's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different genres, but ultimately the structure of the game plays a lot like a virtual tabletop game. So think like the skeleton of Disco Elysium, but yeah. rather than also adding exploration and like uh, CRPG elements to it, Citizen Sleeper, you're really just experiencing like dice rolls, dialogue, and choosing a point on the map to go to Mm -hmm. which i love i think that like not that i'm against having more pieces but i just think for what this game is going for narratively and atmospherically that really clean focus helps like really deliver the elements that they want to be in the spotlight yeah um which is really the the writing the writing this game is is immediately one of the best written games i've played in recent memory i would say like the only thing that immediately comes to mind that is on the same level is Kentucky Route Zero, which I would also compare this game to. It's very much exploring a lot of similar themes like the the horrors of capitalism and sort of showing the lives of characters that continue to exist in sort of a void of society. Yeah. Um, but it does it in a way that like Kentucky Route Zero, there's like there's a very strong focus on just like survival. Like it's not really trying to throw too many like faction. There's a lot of company names and a lot of like background to the space station. That seems to be like kind of this sort of neutral point in the galaxy that like a number of different factions are like trying to take control over. But I think like all that kind of gets lost in the background and the focus is just like, how does someone live in a world like this? Like, what do they do? What do they prioritize? And I think that the this sort of grounded element of the day-to-day life in this place is really strong. The game is like a cyberpunk aesthetic and um, you actually play as a robot of one of three classes who is a human consciousness put into a robot that is technically company property, Yeah, which we'll, we'll get into in a bit. <laughs> um, but uh, that kind of just sums up. It's like, okay, like that is a horrifying idea, but so much of the exploration of occupying that body and how you see the world through that body is just like the human element. It's like, what do I feel? What do I see in here? 
and touch in this exact moment, which makes the story feel very present. And it makes like the criticism and critique and, and satire of capitalism feel much stronger that like you're getting a view of this world from like the bottom floor mm-hmm. and you see like mm-hmm. how do these big thoughtless decisions from all these companies dramatically change the life of people that are just trying to like go to their job and buy food just like eke out an existence yeah exactly so I, I just find it to be really powerful but also hopeful in a way that doesn't feel cheap like there is a glimmer of hope here that i actually think is and this is this is very per, this is very subjective and a very personal take but like i think sometimes with cyberpunk especially a lot of work gets lost in the aesthetic of it and in the potential nihilism of it mm-hmm. where it's like everything is corporate run now and my body is a big fuck you gun Uh, and like you can kind of get and like that's fun to play like there there are a lot of fun elements to play with and this game does that as well but like what it's at a certain point it's okay what are you trying to say by occupying this genre i think the the best works of cyberpunk and the best works of societal satire in my opinion either serve as a warning or have a an answer in some way Mm -hmm. and i think that this game has a bit of an answer even though like I think the game doesn't pretend to know like the solution. I think the focus is on like navigating within a broken system, which I think is really cool. I haven't finished it yet. I'm like right by the end. So maybe this will totally 180 and it will not. <laughs> but I just find that like there is hope to cling on to and it doesn't feel like the world is totally lost, which I think is the most inspiring thing about it. That like even when we've lost our own body and like our own mind can't even really be trusted because like we're an emulation of who we were. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are still relationships to invest in people to know and to help and to like find any part of this station to make a better place and that's what i found the game is really about making this station better in some ways i mean there's role playing so maybe there's like a darker route i'm not aware of but like and it seems to be like there are elements where you can prioritize survival over like helping someone else which seems to be i guess the duality but overall, like as you play, you're probably going to help someone and that's going to like really aid the narrative experience and give you a reason for being there. One, one of the first kind of dialogue choices you're given in the beginning stream of consciousness of like coming to the realization you're in this new robot body and like the way it's written and like how that feels and what memories you cling on to. It's so beautiful. I can't even do it justice in this audio format, but I think the biggest touch point for that would be the opening of Disco Elysium as well, where yeah, where yes. your character wakes up in the hotel room, like almost completely dissociative because of like how much of a bender they've been on recently. Yeah. Uh, where like they're imagining their like ego in id and like <laughs> all, all of these yes. like different aspects of their personality as other beings that they're in conversation with, um, which is like super disorienting and wild, you know, because you just kind of experience this through text floating like in like an inky black void and then you wake up and you're just like drunk in a hotel room and you don't even know what you look like yeah your like shoe is missing <laughs> this is this is like you know for for everything that that was trying to be like kind of gritty and grim and like sad in a way this is trying to almost be equally grim but with a glimmer of hope with a glimmer of optimism like there there is something to be found here because it reminds me it reminds me so much of severance which it's wild that's coming up again on the show but severance is a show on apple tv plus where people will essentially sever hence the name their mind and and have two different versions of themselves one of whom lives outside of their nine to five corporate work environment and then when they go down the elevator into where they work into their like cubicle space their brain switches a flip 
or flips the switch is a flip flips the switch where they now have like the work version of themselves and that show is very interested in interrogating like what would lead somebody to make that decision and on top of that is there actually a separation between these two people like have you created a, a second alternate version of yourself here that doesn't get to experience the joys of like fucking going home or sleeping or like eating a meal not in the break room um and and you know what kind of hell have you signed on for in that in that sense to like not allow these people to understand anything about their outside lives which is another thing the show is very interested in is like who are these people outside of work and and what would cause them to do that and this this game opens with a very similar premise in a way where you open with this idea of i am an emulated mind inside of a corporate frame who is escaping the corporation at the moment that the game starts but it is very very curious about this idea of like what would cause a person to even sell their mind in a way uh you know to just like kind of make an impulsive like whim of a decision that's like yeah i'll take some money and like allow my consciousness to be uploaded into this robot like that seems like a easy quick buck to make when in reality you're creating a new entity you're creating a new mind a new person uh, who has to experience a really hellish life. Uh, yeah. And not only is it just like another person you're creating, but it's another you. You're putting yourself through that in a way. Technically, it's not you. It's a, it's another version of you. But you're you're condemning this person to a life of servitude and, and just kind of like nightmarish corporate horrors. I think it's also interesting. Like, I've been thinking about this, too, especially because we just played Undertale for our upcoming bonus. But I was thinking, like, is this body kind of a analog for, like, just the relationship between the player and the game? You know, that we're, like, coming into this with our own experience and now we are occupying this vessel mm. as the character. Yeah. I think it's it's not really inviting that meta read, but I think there's something to be said just about like role playing games and like who the player is and who the character is and like what you're entering the mind with. Because like yeah. even though you can choose your class, that really just changes like what cool robot you are. Like you get like a <laughs> uh you get some the artwork in this game is incredible and you get yeah. like a really cool illustration of your robot and like what job they are. So there's all that changes is you get one negative modifier in a stat and one positive modifier in a stat, which also gives you a perk, which we'll get to in a second. Because I think the game is structured in a really cool way. That's kind of hard to process. At least it was for me. Like for the first hour, I didn't have like full confidence in, in how to play it. Yeah. But I actually think once you do know how it operates, it's it's shockingly simple. And it's actually one of the easier yeah. like tabletop ish games I've played, at least that are a video game in that way. So yeah. it's it's definitely the biggest yeah. fault I would I would levy against the game is that I think the tutorial makes things seem way more complex than they are. But you know, there's also this element of they're introducing how to play this game, which is kind of like a tabletop role-playing game emulated into a video game um so there's like that element of it which is already gonna i think throw some people for a loop just because you know you're introducing the idea of dice and stats and modifiers and things like that on top of introducing this really heavy sci-fi premise that is supposed to start you off on the wrong foot it's supposed to start you off in this place where you're like already unsettled about who you are and why you are and where you are because it opens again as we said in this like kind of inky black void where you're not quite sure what's going on or who you are what's happening to you so that like narrative confusion is immediately followed up with like here's a full page spread of text explaining how you're <laughs> supposed to play the game and that happens like a couple times in a row yeah. which is definitely disorienting in a way that i don't think they intend i think the narrative stuff is intentional but i don't think the actual tutorialization is intentional and as you're saying the irony of this is that it's actually pretty easy like once you yeah. actually get to 
fuck around with it it's like oh wait this this game is very simple this game is it, it has almost like a persona or fire emblem three houses-esque loop of like you just wake up every morning and decide what you're supposed to do exactly yeah i guess i'll talk a little bit how it's structured i was gonna say too earlier with the beginning narration of like entering consciousness your three choices are um either to prioritize escaping uh building a life or finding answers mm-hmm. which that doesn't like set you on any hard path or anything but i just think that's interesting how like those are sort of the three subclasses in a way it's like yeah. what are you prioritizing as the protagonist just like getting the hell out of here figuring out like what the larger like what's going on like with all these different companies and all that or building a life which i feel like i've ended up focusing on because i just like the characters a lot yeah uh, and i'm like <laughs> i don't really know what else is out there so this might might as well be my home this might be the best place yeah, yeah. so the way the game is structured there are these things called cycles that in the world of the game cycles are how the space station distinguishes time which is really fascinating because i always sort of forget about that aspect of a lot of sci-fi where it's like in mass effect what is a day right right when you're when you're just traveling in space and going in these mass relays and like at a certain point i don't need to know because it's like i'm not going to be like um how long does it take garris to digest turian chocolate like i don't really (laughs) need like hard numbers on that i mean maybe i do for that but um (laughs) in citizen sleeper cycles are days and in the game cycles are essentially turns so you're right to compare this to persona where it's like okay after school what is the thing you do the way the way cycles work in citizen sleeper the first home you have you can eventually unlock other homes but the first home you have is a container with like a blanket in it yeah people don't really trust so you're called the sleeper it's like the the colloquial term for the robot you are and at best people are curious about you at worst they think of you as less than human mm-hmm. you don't have any human rights although it seems like no one does so like that's sort of like in theory only like i don't yeah. think anyone no one i've met seems to be doing great i'll say that yeah <laughs> like everyone is struggling to survive in some way but you're you're definitely seen as less than and the kinder people either treat you like a human or they are curious about what is a sleeper one of my favorite characters is this street vendor who's a chef and people line up across the street to like eat the fungus he's making in this walk there's also like a strange recurring imagery of fungus in this game that i'm not quite sure what the what the meaning is but there's a lot of fungus i think it's literally just like the only thing you can grow yeah the idea that fungi would probably be the easiest thing to grow in in a space environment it's also like uh, yeah. a decomposer. So it's, I think it's the idea of like there's life after death in some ways. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. weirdly a hopeful thing to eat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he makes fungus in this walk and uh, or fungi. And in order to talk to him, you have to become a regular, which I'll talk about in a second. But once you've unlocked his quest, he asks you for a story. He's like, like, I see you here, but we never really talked. Like, tell me a story. Like you like I'm sure a sleeper like you has something to say and you can choose what kind of story you share with him. And then you kind of form this friendship that's based on him giving you food and you giving him a story, which is mm-hmm. like such a cool little moment. It reminds me a little bit of like the moment in Watchmen at like the comic book stand. Just like this like very kind of benign moment yeah. between people and kind of a grander story. Um, I think the, I, I think the juxtaposition too between like he's probably one of the first people you'll meet is yeah. is, the, is that chef the first person you actually meet like in the game is uh the, this person who is the one who gives you 
the yeah the, uh, dragos i believe dragos yeah who yeah. gives you like the shipping container to sleep in um as kind of like a personal like a like a i don't know just like a, a nice way of potentially helping but you can tell that dragos doesn't really trust you because you're a sleeper in that sense but is yeah. like i'll let you stay here as long as you as long as you work for me in this in this like shipping container where i just like break down weird ships and like strange technology that comes in and and like i'll pay you like almost nothing to do that the juxtaposition of like that very transactional kind of like almost shitty version of doing like a nice service for somebody who is in need of help versus this chef who's like i will literally give you a free meal if you tell me a cool story because i love sleepers is like (laughs) real tells you a lot about the two halves of the interactions you're going to be having with a lot of the people on the ship i think like that those those two back to back really help a lot because the first thing you're told is like your body is breaking down and also you need to eat food so the first thing you're going to do, because of those two, the food is the most dire one. That's the one that where you're like almost starving at this point. So the first thing you'll probably do is go looking for food. So you'll probably meet those two people first. And I and I, and I like those two uh, paired up against each other. I, I think they, they tell you a lot about like what doing one nice thing for somebody can can do, I guess, in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, specifically in this kind of uh, very hostile but livable environment. I love I love those two. Yeah, me too. I think you're right to showcase that like they are introducing the range of character. Yeah. And like unfortunately you'll meet some people who are even more hostile <laughs> later. But right. you know, for the most part, it's like, okay, you're met with indifference or like curiosity and maybe even kindness eventually. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the way like the cycles work, you wake up and every cycle your body is getting worse. So like in order to function as a sleeper, in order to live, you need a medical drug that is owned by the company that makes the sleeper bodies. So like since you've run away from them, you're essentially on your own. There's no like legal way to get the drugs you need to continue living. And eventually, like one of the first things too is like find a doctor. Because like if you don't find a doctor, you're not going to be able to live. I, I haven't yeah. I haven't experienced the game over yet. I'm not quite sure like how that works. I was gonna ask you that same thing because I also yeah. haven't. There have been instances, and this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but there have been instances where like there is a bad timer counting down, and I have yeah. you know not been able to do the thing that I need to do before that counts down and just assume that that's where the game would end and it didn't um so i think it's possible that they're just kind of letting you experience your story like there are obviously negative implications to letting those bad counters count down but uh it it doesn't seem like there is a straight up game over as far as i can tell yeah i imagine if like your energy so there's two like health bars essentially there's like the condition of your body that gets worse as the cycles continue so there's like stable flickering and then i think like broken or something Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's your energy which is like kind of your health for the day and you can replenish that by eating thank god for the fungus available to you because you can pay 15 cryo which is the money in the game and like replenish your whole health another thing too is that the beginning classes like like i said you get a negative modifier and a plus one to the other i chose the one that gets a plus one to the endure stat which gives you a perk that lets you photosynthesize. So you can actually take an action at your home to just sunbathe and replenish your energy, which is so helpful. Oh my God. I wish I had really read those. (laughs) Yeah. Cause the other ones are like, you have a chance of getting money if you take a certain action or like they're, they're good, but like that is so much better than any of the other perks. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty wild. Especially because like your, your main goal is to survive for the first like third of the game. I also Mm -hmm. think the game is like relatively short from what I've heard. I imagine, 
imagine it's something you can probably play multiple times to see different events. Like I, I did start a new game just out of curiosity and I immediately met a character in a different way based on failing a role. Oh, so like there is definitely a lot of variety. I'm not sure like how much, but it seems like this is the kind of game that you can play multiple times and see new things you didn't see the first time. Mm. But anyway, when you wake up in a cycle, your body gets worse and you lose energy and you have a set amount of dice for that day. So you'll see underneath your condition and above your energy, there's like up to five dice, I believe. And they have a fixed number. So you can see it's one through six, like any D6. And... And like the the roles have already been set, which I think is really interesting. So what that means is when you go to any place, unless there's an event where you'll see a character's uh, illustration and dialogue, usually you'll just see like the name of the place, the actions you can take and what you need to take that action. Mm -hmm. So most actions just require a dice. And then you'll see based on the number of the dice you're putting into that slot, like what is your percentage of this being positive, neutral or negative? What I really like and what's a little bit too much info at first, but I think once you get a handle of the game is helpful. The game also says, like, is this an action you can do more than once or is this a one time thing? And also, is it dangerous? So if like an action isn't listed as dangerous or risky, if you fail, like it's not the end of the world, like, you probably just will, like lose money or something. Yeah. But if it's dangerous, you have the chance of losing health and energy. So like the game really gives you everything you need to know before you make a decision. So that way it becomes very strategic with like, okay, what am I going to use my good dice on? What am I going to use my lesser dice on? Like where, where can I realistically take a chance? And what's great is that the modifiers aren't just, oh, I'm going to add this to my roll. Like it literally changes the dice. So if you have a plus one, all of a sudden your two is a three mm -hmm. or vice versa if, if you have a negative modifier. And you level up as a character by completing quests, which are called drives. So once you've seen a quest to the end, you'll get an upgrade point. Um, and you can, you know, at this point, I, I no longer have any negative modifiers, but I have run into some actions that require me have a plus two to even do the thing. So like there are some interesting actions that are gated if you don't have like a plus two in engineering or whatever. There's only like six stats. I think it's like engage, endure, intuit, engineering, and uh, there's one other, I believe. I can't remember. But yeah, the photosynthesis perk is, is better than anything I've read on the sheet. So definitely get that. <laughs> I just think it's really brilliant to like have already rolled the dice. So even though there's like the percentage chance, you're, you're essentially choosing like where do I want to succeed? And what's cool is like there are places you mentioned that there are clocks that appear. So there are a few different kinds of clocks. There's some clocks where like you'll go to a place and you'll see a counter at the bottom that's like maybe three in a, in a drive. That clock might be a cycle clock where every cycle, independent of your actions, that will fill up. And once it's, once it's filled, there will be an event there that will be like some kind of story event that will progress things. And that's yeah. out of your control. Sometimes it's like a ship has come to visit the station yeah. and like it's only going to be there for three or four cycles. And you can like go engage with the people on the ship or like work for the ship or something. And then when that's gone, it's gone. Or like a merchant is here, but only for two cycles. So you can exactly. like buy their stuff and then they're going to be gone forever and then other times like you mentioned there will be a red cycle clock where it's like i think the first one you get is like there's someone hunting you yeah and they're gonna show up in you know five cycles or whatever those really help create a sense of urgency and a sense of like a schedule existing outside of you yeah it, it does a lot in a very simple way to make the world feel alive and on top of those so those are the two clocks that just operate via cycles 
there are other clocks where like the street vendor we mentioned if you order fungus a few times there are clocks that are dependent on actions you take so it's like okay once you've ordered from that vendor enough that that will be fulfilled and then then all of a sudden you can talk there's another character you meet later who's this really friendly bartender who asks you to do all these things for her to help like make her bar a better place and again that begins with like becoming a regular and then it's like okay you actually have to find me these fungal spores to like create this Mm -hmm. brewery in the back and sometimes you'll be asked for an item where it's like i don't know where to get that and then you're incentivized to explore the rest of the station and there are like it's all like one kind of linear area but there are gates that will require either uh like a key or paying and eventually you'll find the item you needed a while ago by just advancing in the station and meeting more and more characters and and it's really cool i mean there's so many once you've done enough quests and once you've activated enough clocks, like there are so many decisions you have to make of like, who do you want to invest in? Who do you want to help? How can you avoid either being hunted down by the corporation that created you or just like deteriorating because you don't have the medication you need? Yeah. It really does put you in this position where you constantly have to consider what do I have to do to survive? And with what little time I have, how can I create a positive difference? Which, again, goes back to the, like, the, the slight ray of hope in this game that I think is really powerful. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things just from like a gameplay design perspective that really, really helps aid. I mean, this goes back to a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about on the show recently. But one of the gameplay decisions that I think aids the overall theme of the game in general is just just this idea of like you're a person who's living essentially in poverty like you're a person who is like really just trying their best to survive in any way they can and do whatever they can to make that happen right so like one day you're working at the bar one day you're working in Drago's shipyard one day you actually feel like you maybe have enough you know uh energy and your your frame isn't decomposing and you know the dice that you rolled are like pretty good so it's like okay cool i can actually go out and like progress some other stuff but but the one thing that i that it keeps coming back to for me is going to sleep at the end of the night and waking up the next day and seeing what my dice are is the most like one-to-one experience of like sometimes you're just going to have a bad day and you know it the minute you wake up yeah you know (laughs) yeah i I think that feeling of like you wake up immediately it's like i only got ones and twos and threes it's like i'm fucked i actually like i have things i need to do today and i literally can't do them because my odds of doing them are only going to be negative and then the question of like what do i do with that day is it a wash do i just go back to sleep like yeah you know i need to get food how do i do that if i if i don't have the ability to go and make money or make enough money to go like even talk to the spore fungal guy and like get some stuff from him like what what do i do in that case and sometimes you wake up and you have like fives and sixes and you're like I don't even know. I'm like overwhelmed. I'm like overwhelmed yeah. <laughs> with the amount of luck that I have today. And that's literally what it is. It's like it just kind of hammers this idea home that sometimes succeeding under a capitalist structure is just luck. You know, yeah. it's like literally just like, who are you on that day is going to be the reason that you succeed or you fail. And that experience being com- like mapped literally to a dice roll every single day is such a strong mechanical conceit and, and aids the theme so well that it's like the, the minute that clocked for me was this moment of like, I can't wait to talk about this on the show. Yeah. I can't wait to tell everybody to play this game. I, ju- I just think it's really, really, really well constructed and kind of along the same lines. I mean, as you're talking about, like sometimes you do wake up and you have rolled all of these incredible roles and you're like, stuck in this place where you have to make a decision am i going to use this incredible fortune that i've gotten this morning to help others or to just make enough money 
for myself? Like, am I just building up my store of cryo so I can, you know, in a couple days when I wake up and I have shit rolls, do I have enough saved up to then go get food and get the the medicine I need to uh, have my frame not decompose, et cetera, et cetera. Those decisions are literally like the mirror reflecting back at you. Like, are you going to be a good person today or not? You know, yeah. um, and uh, that that is such a that is such a strong core design principle i think for this game it really it's really striking and all of this again aided by incredible art unbelievable music and really really like phenomenal writing i mean there's not enough praise i could i could throw at this game really what i love too is like that idea of of luck and of like how do you use your accidental fortune I think it feels like every other character is doing the same thing. Like the yeah, characters totally. that have ambitions or that have goals are are like one of one of my favorite characters is a is a father who you meet him and his and his daughter and he like works for one of the corporations and like mm. he has to choose do I go to work to make sure that we can live or do I spend time with my daughter? Right. And that's like a very real conflict like in our in our worlds outside yeah. of robots and cyberpunk. Like that is being a parent and and balancing a job and and you know what takes priority. You end up having like there's an, eventually an option where you can babysit his daughter so he can get a promotion, which is like mm. it, it's a really beautiful moment in general cuz like you know you're just helping the characters, but it also is like the only possible way that these characters can get a better life is with help like the only way that you can succeed in the game like eventually there's a point where it seems like there are at least where i am it seems like there are three paths to an ending and all of them rely on someone else doing something for you Mm. um so this this idea that like you know we can't rely on these nameless and faceless corporations to provide us with the life that we want we have to take that into our own hands and the game is kind of showing a variety of different ways one can do that and again i haven't gotten to the ending so maybe it's all just game over there's no escape you know that someone laughs in the background but uh, i don't think that's where it's going and i think that doesn't seem like it yeah i don't expect it to be a completely happy ending but i do expect that theme of selflessness and of like living in a society despite the structure of it to ring louder than than anything else and uh i i think i just think that's beautiful i even with the villains there there are i've now met at least two characters who are antagonists in some way and while i don't think they've been redeemed at all they are also victims of this system like there is a character i won't say too much about him but like they are introduced as a straight up villain and they are someone who i absolutely do not trust but i pity deeply mm. and you yeah. can see how like at the drop of the hat any character with power can instantly lose it the same way you wake up with dice rolls yeah it's all consistent throughout the game which is just a sign of good writing at the end of the day yeah (laughs) it's just a well-written game i don't i don't want to give too much away but i will say that uh there is a vending machine in this game that i absolutely love oh i knew you would like them yeah uh (laughs) i that's that's all that's all i want to say i just want to make sure I, i i got that in there outside of that this game is available in a lot of places. Uh, as we said, it's on Xbox Game Pass. It's also on the PC version of Game Pass as well. You can get it on Steam and it's on Nintendo Switch. Uh, I This is another situation where I started playing on Game Pass. I was like, I really want this handheld. So I got it on yeah. Switch as well. But uh, yeah, Citizen Sleeper. Do you, have, do you have more stuff about it? I do, but it would it would spoil. I would just say this is a this is one of the best games I've played this year in a year that's already frighteningly stacked with yeah. good games. Yeah. I think that this is a must play if you like games as a narrative 
device. <laughs> yeah, if you're a person who liked Disco Elysium, you should play this. Like, I know that that's yeah. it's kind of like an easy comparison to make, but like, definitely, definitely pick this up if if you liked that Kentucky Route Zero as well. And I'll say again, I mean, you and I tried playing Disco Elysium, like didn't really walk away with the same, I think, fervor that a lot of people had for it. Like, I appreciate a lot of it. But this this game is giving me a lot of what I wanted from Disco Elysium. Um, yeah. Which I appreciate. I think Disco Elysium, I really was blown away by with the writing and just the, the conceit of it. Like, I really admire that game. It's one of those cases where I admire it more than I jo- enjoy the act of playing it. Because I think, like, the addition of, like, having to explore and find things kind of turns some of my experience into like 90s esoteric point and click game where I'm yeah. like, I just want to see more of this. And I I feel like the way to advance the game is so not clearly broadcast to me. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely want to go back because again, like I, I think there's a lot of stuff that I do really like, but I agree that this is like a game with a similar structure, tackling similar themes in a very different way. <laughs> the Scolisium has like kind of almost like a fear and loathing energy to it where it's like so displaced and like strange and yeah yeah that game is much more nihilistic it's nihilistic in a fun like cartoonish way but it's it's extremely bleak whereas this game i think has a little bit more hope which i think makes it just a shorter and more digestible experience not to say that it has to be like happy for me to like it i just think that like the whole package is delivered in a more focused way for me personally yeah yeah i agree Um, yeah less less bumbling around (laughs) (laughs) to be fair discolysium is trying to make you feel aimless and clueless and powerless yeah so it does that very very well almost too well but anyway i uh, just want to say like that is a game i admire i just I, I i agree i think this game is giving me the experience i wanted to have citizen sleeper it's out now it's one of the best games of the year probably play it please <laughs> <laughs> I love the board announcer voice we do. Like, <laughs> this game's really good. If you're going to have fun with it, play it. <clears throat> Goodbye. Welcome to the Z, the Z Morning Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you soon. <laughs> Steven, we're back. Hi. You have played Rogue Legacy 2 now. I have. I finally did it. Yeah, I'm curious how you're feeling about it. I played so, so, so much of it since it dropped, and I, I'm curious how you're feeling about it, because I I have mentioned before on the show that I, I have a really strong affinity for that first game. I think it's, like, really stellar. It's kind of the one I, like, always hand to people who have never played Roguelites before. I'm like, you should play this, and then you'll enjoy the genre, probably. It's going to be, like, your entry point. I'm just curious, like, how did you feel about the first one? Where are you, where are you coming at this one from, and uh, h- how do you feel about it so far? Yeah, so the first one I played pretty briefly i think you must have recommended it to me like back in 2013 or whenever it came out because i think that was when we were working for a game site together yeah that was also a big year for roguelikes in general that was like ftl or around Mm -hmm. that time was ftl and a few other games i think binding of of isaac as well was that year or maybe make two years before yeah binding of isaac had like a long life as a flash game before it was it, it's 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 full form that it is now <laughs> at least in my experience that was on a personal level the year where i was discovering a lot of these games and kind of realizing that i liked this sort of loop of failure <laughs> uh so i played i played rogue legacy um and i enjoyed it i i don't really know why i didn't stick around I, it didn't click with me right away i think it does um have kind of a slow start because a lot of your advancements are dependent on money so like the first one kind of feels like it's built where like you're just gonna die a lot a lot a lot but collect money and then eventually you'll stop dying Mm -hmm. um 
So, you know, that, that, that feels intentional, but I think like, unless you have that faith in the game, it doesn't really give you a lot of confidence in the experience because like you're just dying a lot. But I did like the idea that whenever you die, the next time you play, it's continuing this lineage of heroes. So like it will have like a portrait of the character and then the next hero will be like, uh, you know, Sir Lancelot or whatever, and it will have like their stats. And there's usually something like positive and negative about that character or just like different. Like you might just see in black and white and like that's your experience of that. Level. Right. So I liked that variety for sure. And that definitely helps aid the beginning where like you're going to be like the early lineage of these adventures are not very good. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, it's like that line of precedence that no one remembers. It's like, OK, that's going to be like the, the early portraits here. But eventually you'll find one that works. And I think I enjoyed that, but I kind of just moved on because there were I, I think FTL was taking my focus at that time. Mm. So but I was curious about a sequel because I, I again, I think it's a good idea. And I was like, I, I'd be interested in a version of that that is like a little bit like improved in some mechanical ways and i'm i'm enjoying it a lot i definitely think it's i I think it's immediately more enjoyable than the first one to be honest Mm. i just think it like looks better and plays better it's very similar like you know if you were to see the games like at least like my distant memory of the first one like matches relatively close to how the game is structured with like running around with the sword and jumping but like i just think it just looks much nicer like I, i like the background art and like the animation yeah there's something to be said for this new art style i think because the the first one was very much gone after like a pixel art kind of retro aesthetic in a way but was like had a pretty clear like aesthetic vision i i would say like a more like cartoony like a like a pixel art focus through this kind of like more cartoony lens um very like cartoon network energy uh and and this game is like okay what if it was all like actually hand-drawn like line art and and really pretty uh and it works really well it has like all this like great dynamic lighting and stuff it's it's really really gorgeous looking what i've been really enjoying is like i like that whenever you start a new hero you have to walk through this like little kingdom you're building so like every time you get money before a new round you can invest that money in upgrading your castle so that will you know there'll be parts of the castle where it's like all your heroes have more health or they do more damage or Mm -hmm. you might spend money to just get the blacksmith and the and the witch to like join your your kingdom so when you walk to uh charon has been in like every game for the past two years (laughs) When you get to the, the, the ferryman of death, you see like all the different vendors you've acquired. And like, I like the dialogue with all of them. Um, I like the, it, I think it's the witch. I'm not sure, but the, the magic person, mm-hmm. she recognizes you as the same person every time. She's like, eventually you'll learn to look through the shell. Like, I know that's you. I think she calls you ducky. She's like, I know it's still you ducky. Like, even though you're like a new person, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, cool. I like that. I like that idea. I don't think it's going to be explored heavily. I just like that. It's there. There's. Um, a lot of narrative in this game i don't know how much you've run into but there's like a lot of writing all over the place there are a lot of characters that you can talk to who will like lord dump at you i find it to be overwhelming honestly i think it's the one part of the game that really stumbles for me is like it seems to want to be giving me narrative information in the way dark souls does but also simultaneously it's like as if you went in dark souls and found a book lying on the ground and had to read like actually 10 pages of of the book yeah i've been like skipping the books to be honest like i yeah. i don't really it's too much i me too yeah. i actually haven't met anybody who doesn't 
everybody I've talked to who plays the game plays it exactly that way where it's like there's so much information here that it's yeah. like it's actually it's actually overload in a way. What I do like is that there are sort of seeds of intrigue where like you'll see like a magical thing that you you can't connect with but I'm like okay eventually I know I'll have like a mage down the road who will be able to connect to that in some way. Mhm. Or, you know, I, I like that there's like, okay, I, I'm already visually seeing things that I, I will eventually be able to unlock. But for now, I just got to focus on X, Y, and Z. I, I just think like it's it's fun. I mean, I, I think that the combat is very Castlevania-y, which I think that was my first take was I messaged you. And I'm like, <laughs> you do like Castlevania if you like this game. Because it's pretty much the same. I mean, like the, the sort of stiff broadsword stroke mm-hmm. uh the way that arrows work just the way that the, you know the, the the variety of enemies in the sort of like metroidvania e map it, it feels very castlevania in a good way to be clear but i'm like you're you're such a liar like this has been here the whole time <laughs> well i i wanted to dig into that a little bit because i i feel like every time i play any castlevania game i do want it to feel more like rogue legacy and it doesn't interesting it's yeah. kind of my thing and i i think a large part of it probably does come down to the art style in a way like i feel mm. like castlevania like although it it is camp at times it is also camp that like takes itself seriously more often than it doesn't i find and rogue legacy is like all bits all the time it's like yeah. all goofs so i think that levity really adds a lot to it for me but also castlevania is so much about like going in a direction realizing you're going in the wrong direction coming up against something that's too difficult for you needing to double back etc etc like making your way and trying to find the right path to things and rogue legacy being procedurally generated every time you go into the castle i think actually does add a lot to me where it's like there is no wrong direction to go in really i'm just trying to see as much of this as i can before i like go into a boss room or like head into the next zone or whatever um i think that adds a lot to it there is also a character you can unlock that like like in the first game will lock down the castle if you if you pay them some money uh so it won't change the next time which is cool so like that's great if you know exactly where to go and like what things you want in what order to you know make it to a boss room or to whatever you can pay that person to just like lock the castle down, which is very cool. I love that addition, but I do think the procedurally generated aspect of it actually solves my biggest problem with Castlevania, which is that I constantly feel like I'm wasting time by going the wrong way. That's a good point. I mean, I think you and I both talked about Aria of Sorrow on the Game Boy Advance episode. And like, that was my formative experience with either Metroid or Castlevania. So that was like my Metroidvania that I have gone off of since mm-hmm. um and returning to it like i really enjoyed it it didn't make my list but i really i think it was like 11 it was like right on the cusp yeah but what i liked about aria of sorrow is that like it does sort of just like if metroid is all about kind of un- untying a knot by like getting more and more powerful mm-hmm. and by the end you're like you know sprinting through these mazes that once stopped your path literally flying yeah <laughs> yeah uh castlevania is is sort of about exploration and, and pairing up your character in a more rpg way so whereas metroid always has like you know a variety of ways you can progress but there is sort of a planned ramp up of power Ari of sorrow especially is like i don't know maybe you'll like kill a skeleton and get a bone or maybe like <laughs> you'll be able to turn into satan like right away and then that will allow you to go everywhere so right. like i think aria sorrow is a game that benefits from being replayed because like every run of it is like wildly different based on the powers you get 
Um, but I do think it's not a coincidence that you and I both really loved uh, Bloodstained and Dealit in Wonder Labyrinth, which yeah. are both like very, very Castlevania-ish games that are like full on the camp, either by purpose or by accident. Um, <laughs> and I think are also the way you get around in both games, especially in Deedlet. I think the, just the feeling of movement in that game is way more fun than like the slow walk of Alucard or Summer Cruise. Yeah, you know? I was thinking a lot about about Deedlet. Deedlet. Deedlet? Deedlet in Wonder Deed- Labyrinth, Record Deedlet. of Lodos War. Every word sounds like it's a mistake. Like, Deedlet. not that it's a bad title, but I feel like I'm getting it wrong whenever I say it, you know? Deedlet. 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 Okay. Call me Wonder Labyrinth, please. <laughs> Deedlet was my mother. Call me Wonder Labyrinth. I was thinking a lot about that game and why why I'm enjoying Rogue Legacy 2 so much because it does feel like Rogue Legacy 2 doesn't take a lot. I, I don't I don't think that they were like inspired by Deedlet, but I do think that they focused a lot on traversal and making the traversal of Rogue Legacy, which was great in the first game. I think it was very I, I think it was very strong in the first game. And and the way they doled out your ability to move around the world in faster and more interesting ways felt like the same way like a Castlevania or a Metroid more Metroid I would say does uh, which was really strong and in this game they just give you a lot of that stuff right at the top which I really appreciate like right at the top you immediately have the dash which is hugely helpful it's hugely helpful to have the dash you can also in the settings go and change it so the left and right trigger will dash left and right instead of needing to face in whatever direction you press the dash button which is also like wildly helpful to be able to like hit somebody and then like press the left trigger and like back step in a way that feels really good And immediately in the first zone, there are two different unlocks that you can get, which will also change the way you're traversing the world, which is super helpful. On top of that, they also add this ability to jump in the air and press the left. I think it's the left bumper to do this kind of like downward swing that's like just kind of like a parry down so you can use it to like bounce off of things kind of like a shovel knight or like a ducktails like pogo move in a way whereas in the first game you needed to actually like press down on the d-pad or the analog stick and then attack downwards to do that this is now just mapped to a button so you can like if you're just using that for traversal and not for like actually attacking you can just use that if you want to attack downwards you can you can use that like downwards a move to attack down um, and that will be like a full attack downwards but if you just bounce off of somebody with a left bumper it does like half the damage which is really smart to actually say like well if we're going to invest in this as a way of moving around then it should be mapped to a button it shouldn't be something that's going to be like super difficult to pull off you know we're like maybe maybe you fuck it up a little bit halfway through and now you've like died because like you just couldn't do the down a 15 times <laughs> in a row now there's just a button that you can press that i love all of that i do think it's a bit much I think they they throw so much at you right at the yeah. top. It, I think I mentioned this, but like it assumes that you have played Rogue Legacy one like recently, which yeah. it's been like almost 10 years or something. It's been like seven or eight years. So I think that maybe uh, maybe it's a little bit too much if you're a newcomer. But once you get a handle on it, like once you get your feet under you, it really, really does aid a lot of how it feels to traverse this place. Like it feels so good to move around at a certain point, especially when you start unlocking new methods via the uh, like permanent upgrades and depending on what class you're using. And some of the classes they've added are just so fun. Yeah, I mean, like pretty early on, you get the ranger or like an archer who is able to create temporary platforms out of like grass, which rules. I I love that. I think I think you're right that overall two benefits from just giving the player more 
faster. I think Rogue Legacy does ask you to play it for at least an hour or two where you're just abysmal and have nothing. This game gives <laughs> yes. you like way more to start with. And I agree. The The downside of that is that it is even just like choosing an error is like, I don't know what any of this means. And half the time the pros or cons are question marks and you won't right. know until you've chosen them, which is kind of fun. I mean, for whatever reason, a lot of my legacy, they've all seen the world as lewd. So everything is censored. So like oh, all yeah. the enemies are like pixelated blurs, which is very funny. But like now that I've had that, it's an unlocked perk, but I'm like, it's fun to unlock them, but I kind of wish I could just see, you know, mm. like rather than having to do trial and error about it. But either way, I, I think that this game has definitely pulled me in in a way that the first one didn't really. And I am I think I'm also right on the cusp of it, like really solidifying. So I think I, I've unlocked enough stuff that I, I have enough options yeah. that I imagine once I'm able to like, you know, get more blacksmith blueprints and get like different gear and like that, you know, the loop will kind of intensify once I have more. I've been thinking too, like this idea of like, what do you start with? I don't I don't think I would say that this game is like a Metroidvania, but it definitely has elements of that. I think any game that has this sort of like map style map progression, I think that what abilities you begin with is such an important balance. I think we mm-hmm. talk about like like why is the double jump like a mid game acquisition in so many of these types of games? Like why can't I yeah. just do that from the beginning? I think Ori is the one I always think of where like Ori understands that the strength of that game in particular is the platforming and the momentum. So none of that is like gated off right away other than like some of the more advanced stuff like, you know, like flying or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like you can double jump, you can like climb on things that is at least what you're given. So I think it's an important question to be like, who is the player character and, and by default, what should they have to make it like, even if you don't have any of the advancements, is this fun to play? Yeah. Right. Cause I think that like, if we're too behold, into the classic format where you you have like nothing but the standard attack it can be a big ask to be like play this until it's fun (laughs) you know there's there's definitely a balance there and the best get it right obviously (laughs) yeah i will i i think i mentioned this as well but um i i really do appreciate the way they're kind of like gating progression in this game i at first i thought that was going to rub me the wrong way but it's the way this works is the first area that you're in the first zone is very much akin to the castle that rogue legacy one was based in and in rogue legacy one at any point if you like explored the full scope of that first area you could move on to other areas and if they were too hard for you they were too hard for you but like you could venture off into them and try and treat it as like a risk reward like maybe i'm powerful enough on this run where like i feel pretty good about going up against things that are supposed to be too difficult for me you know maybe i don't have enough upgrades but i could use the money so whatever like you could treat runs that way this game is like no that's actually not how you're gonna play this game there are certain areas where if you venture into them it's like you actually need this item to progress or else you can't i think the easiest one is like there's like a basement to the castle where if you go down there it's like almost pitch black there's like a little flashlight on you essentially uh so you can't really see where you're going or what you're doing because there's an item that you're going to need to get from a boss somewhere in one of the zones that will allow you to progress in that area which at first I was kind of against, but I actually kind of like it at this point. I, th- I think it's fun in this way to lean into what made Rogue Legacy 1 really strong, which was like, if you continue to play, you will beat it eventually. Like you will have some runs that will be better than others, but eventually you will get enough permanent upgrades where you'll feel like, yeah, I'm powerful enough to now go take on this stuff that was kicking my ass before. Rogue Legacy 2 is like, that's what was cool about this game. So why don't we lean into that? Like do this first area until you beat the first boss and get the item you need to move on to the next one. I think that's cool. I think that's I think that's a fun choice that having been said, I have managed to break that loop 
more than once already by getting an artifact that lets me fly, <laughs> which has been really fun to like venture into areas that I should not go to and just like skip all the enemies and fly right to the end just to see what would happen. And I, I appreciate that the game is giving you the allowance to to kind of poke at the edges like that and see like, oh, oh cool. I have this I have this artifact that lets me fly. What can I do that I shouldn't be able to do? That's been really fun. That's been really cool. So like I used it, for example, to get an upgraded version of the, the left bumper move like oh, cool. way sooner than I should have, because like this whole thing is supposed to be this trial where like they give you the ability and then you see if you can make it to the end and then fight like a little mini boss. And if you do it, then you get to keep the ability and I could just fly. So I just flew through the whole thing. <laughs> I just didn't even engage with it at all. I was like, I'm just going to get this. And then I did. And now I have it permanently. And that's fun. I mean, did I cheat myself out of that experience? Maybe. But also the game gave me the artifact. That reminds me of like several D&D sessions I've had where as a DM or even as a player, like there will be a scenario where like, OK, the DM has set up all these different things. And then whoever's playing the wizard is like, what if I just use the spell that can controls the sea and like we just <laughs> avoid that entirely so i i mean moments like that are so fun because it's a, ideally a game or a DD session has accounted for like okay here's the intended route but like if you're intuitive enough or if you find certain abilities there will be other ways around it yeah that right. we're not going to say like no you have to play my way right <laughs> so that's cool yeah I, I should mention also uh, there's there's one mechanic in particular. This is going to get a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's worth mentioning because I, I, as far as I could tell, they didn't explain it at all uh, in any of the tutorials that I could find. Maybe they did and I skipped it. But uh, there, there's this idea called resolve, which as you pick your different heirs, you can you have this like resolve percentage that's usually over 100. And as you continue to pick up artifacts, it will cost resolve. So like as you're making your way through a run, it will cost a certain amount of resolve to use that artifact. Uh, there are two different ways in which that works the resolve is essentially how much health you have uh so it, as long as it's over 100 you have your maximum amount of health and if you continue to take artifacts that drain your resolve you will have less maximum health which i oh, I, I did see. not realize so the whole idea is there's this kind of back and forth of like do i want to pick up these artifacts or not because like if i pick up this one and it costs me 50 resolve and it takes my resolve percentage down below 100 then i'm going to have less health to work with in the future so it, it's, it's kind of introducing player choice into uh, giving yourself these like run based upgrades, not the permanent ones, but like the ones that you're getting in the runs, because as you're making your way through the castle, you'll see different areas, which will be like a choice between two different artifacts. And you could choose to take one of them or you could choose to take none of them uh, and see what helps, because I imagine as you continue to make your way through the game, you'll continue to find other areas which will also give you artifacts. So it's like, do I want to pick up these like shitty artifacts that are in the castle or do I want to pick up these better artifacts later in my run in these other areas where they will probably be better and more powerful versions of them? themselves which i think is a smart choice it's, it's, it's an interesting choice but i just wanted to explain resolve because it took me literally like four or five hours to understand how no, it works. i'm glad you did yeah because i had no idea what it meant yeah me either uh, <laughs> uh yeah that, so, that's yeah. the thing too with like them throwing a little bit too much at you with just like you know i have a character where it's like, every time they get hit their max health goes down but they also regenerate health but every time like it's like uh learning magic cards so there's like already eight synergies happening before i even know how to play the game right 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 there's a little bit of that but i think like honestly early on you can kind of just ignore it because like they're going to die anyway like i just yeah i'm like the, the first 20 heroes are just like pawns in this <laughs> scheme of mine to grow powerful so i'm just sort of like seeing what the game throws at me for now which i've been enjoying yeah totally that's rogue legacy 2 it's available on xbox and pc at the moment i'm hoping that it drops on more stuff because i like rogue legacy 1 will probably play this on every platform i do think that it's a much longer game than the first one like i've played this for a really long period of time already uh, <laughs> and have not come close to the end at all in a way that i very 
much probably would have if it was the first game. So uh, mm. I think that's worth considering that it's that it's a long game. It's going like, to take a while. But I think it's setting itself up like the first one did and like Hades did, for example, to be a game that you can finish and then move on from and like revisit later if you want to, uh, yeah. which is more than I can say about a lot of roguelites that just seem to be endless. And that's kind of like part of the design, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. But I do think there's something to be said for designing a game around its inevitable conclusion, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I only was able to move on from FTL once I got the crystal ship. Then I'm like, OK, like the galaxy has nothing left for me. I, right. I need to move on. Yeah. Um, until my save file was deleted and then I had nothing again. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh here we are. Rug Legacy 2. Pick it up. It's fun. Pick it up. <laughs> okay should we take a break yeah we got to work on our our uh, final <laughs> yeah, i don't know what happened you know what it was last week we didn't have to worry about endings and so now we don't know how to end segments <laughs> i feel like we've had like really good conversations then we're like yeah well that's it <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine if you saw like a great Broadway show and then it ended with just like everyone going like, all right. And then they go like, took off their costumes. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, yeah. So the ladies who lunch. Speaking of, I'm kind of hungry. Man. Uh, off yeah, I'll, I'll catch you later. No, see you later. Steven, we're back. Uh, I feel like this has kind of become a recurring trend for us, but you and I are like, you know, it's, it's about a month maybe a month and a half until we record our Nintendo DS bonus. So we're like really, really like chugging through that catalog at this point. So I feel like we've yes. been doing these like weekly check-ins about, Hey, how's it going? What stuff are you playing? Is there anything like on your list that like anything I'm playing that I feel like you should really check out? Like, don't miss this one. I think it's going to be a contender or vice versa, whatever. Um, and more recently we've been recording all those conversations. I feel like we've been doing it every week for like months anyway, but, uh, yeah, I, they're, they're making it into the show now. And, uh, you, you had some stuff you wanted to bring up this week, which I'm excited about. Yeah. So I, I, I want to be clear. Like I want to keep a lot for that episode, but I think when there's one where it's like, I, I truly, we've been playing so many games. I don't have a confident view of what my final list will be. Yeah. So whenever there's a game where I'm like, like I truly can't know whether or not this will be on it but i really want to highlight it anyway why not bring it up yeah this is a game that i'm so <laughs> excited to talk about that like this this game sort of inspired this section because i'm like no matter if this mix our list or not i just need to tell the world that this exists yeah i think we actually had some listeners like tell us to play this yes in response to the to the ds episode and like if you do a quick google search there's already like people have been rightfully like shouting that this game rules for a long time so we're not new here but i, I want to add my voice to the choir the huge unparalleled choir screaming yes Henry Hatsworth and the Puzzling Adventure is maybe one of the best Nintendo DS games you can play <laughs> in 2022. So let me paint you a picture. The Please. cover is sort of a Colonel Mustard looking guy with a teacup or coffee cup and a saber standing on a bunch of like match three puzzle blocks. If you were to be handed a wrapped square and peel away the paper in excitement and see this, I think most people would feel immediate disappointment and be like, okay, a family member was told that I liked video games and they like reach towards a shelf and this is what I got. Yeah. Like there is yeah. there's nothing about the cover. It has big like five below dollar store bargain bin <laughs> energy. Yeah. Not to say the cover is like bad or like looks bad. It just like in my pre Henry Hatsworth mind, I was like, huh? Yeah. How will this game be? Um, and to be clear, I've only played the first like level and a half. It's really fucking hard, which we'll get to in a bit. <laughs> so I can't speak to the whole experience. But this game is like an unhinged 
adventure. It, it is a. I thought it, you were going to say masterpiece, and I was going to fully back you up on it. <laughs> It's an unhinged masterpiece for now. I don't want to speak so definitively when I'm so early on in, in Henry's adventure. He could he could fall from grace just as much as he climbed to grace. But essentially what it is, like it starts off and it's like not like I wasn't clear what it was going to be because mm-hmm. like there's like a very long scene between Henry Hatsworth and like his ward. And the way that like you get dialogue and then the way they talk audibly is like Banjo-Kazooie where they're just like sounds. Yeah. But it feels like... <laughs> Like the meanest interpretation of London I've seen like in a piece of media where like Henry would be like, ah, good show. And then his word is like, ah, oh, governor. Like it's (laughs) it's like that for like maybe a half hour. So I was like, okay, this is like forever. (laughs) They set up so much story. There's like an evil Henry Hatsworth that shows up. It's like, yeah, it's incredible. It's like a half hour of that. So I was like, okay, like (laughs) let me, I, I haven't played yet, so I can't turn this off quite yet, but rough start um and then you begin and it's like a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty good looking i just keep thinking it's like what if it was indiana jones but both of the characters were belloc <laughs> <laughs> yeah it begins and it's like a very classic side scroller you're running around you've got a saber like it actually looks really nice with the background art and like the presentation overall is pretty cool and then on the bottom screen there's like a match three puzzle thing going on so like initially they just teach you the platforming stuff, which is like pretty straightforward. And honestly, like it's fine. It's like any, yeah. it's exactly what you think it's going to be. It's, it's, it's definitely a little bit better than like I expected, but like it's partially while you're playing and then they teach you the puzzle stuff. So like on the bottom screen, there's a match three and like, it's really fun. And, and there's a way to like move. You can match blocks horizontally or vertically, but you can only move them horizontally. But you can also move them where like you move one off like a higher ledge of blocks and it will fall down. So like there's some cool combos you can pull off with like timing the falls and everything. And the big thing is that like as you play the level, blocks just accumulate in the lower screen. And if they get too high, the blocks become enemies in Henry's real adventure. Right. So like if you if you ignore the puzzle half of the game, it will make the platforming harder. <laughs> So what you have to do is like when you like attack an enemy with your saber or like do certain actions or get certain items in the top screen, it will refill your puzzle meter, which will essentially allow you to play the puzzle part of the game for longer than you would normally. If you just like jump right to it, it's like you got maybe a couple seconds. And at first I was like, I don't know, like I like the puzzle part, but it's always kicking me out of it to play this like weird, like Mario-ish game. Like, I don't really know if that's enjoyable, but eventually once the game like finally trusts you to play it after like a half hour of plot and like this weird tutorial, the way the two screens come together and the way that adventuring like you're building up one meter to go to the other meter and like that balance of like making sure you're okay on the top and then making sure the puzzles are okay on the bottom is actually like thrilling it's like really fun yes it's like one of the most creative interpretations of the ds like in in doing this episode or preparing for this episode i've been making note of like what games like really utilize the two screens in a way that makes a meaningful difference right and it doesn't always have to like i'm happy when a game is just like okay that's the menu and the top is the game or whatever Mm -hmm. 
but like every now and then there's a game that just like goes for it with like okay we're gonna use the touch controls in this way or we're gonna use the dual screens in this way and with henry hatsworth it's like they've essentially made the two screens two games that are like competing and complementing with each other yes and eventually (laughs) the moment i kind of knew what the game was going for is eventually when your meter fills up you can just summon a giant like steampunk robot and he's like good show (laughs) and you just like run through like you just destroy everything and then your puzzle meter is like exploding so you can just like destroy everything and the game is like weirdly difficult it's like it's it's, the first level took me like maybe an hour and a half which is (laughs) why i'm not saying it's a masterpiece yet because i'm i still don't really know if i had just like a weird dream or not but like the the satisfaction of getting to that point where you're just like annihilating both screens is a blast and the music is really cool it's 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 like it should not be as good as it is i just i can't believe this game exists is basically where i'm at with it I love Henry Hasler <laughs> and the puzzling adventure. I love this game so much. I think it's incredible. It's okay. So I think one of the things that's worth mentioning is when you kill an enemy on the top screen, it becomes a block on the bottom screen. And to, oh, re- right. to remove that enemy forever, you need to match that enemy with the other blocks that are the same color as it, or else it will come back as an enemy again, which that balance I think is really important as well. But you're right. It's just, this, this conceit that, you're going to be making your way through like a Super Mario Brothers level and have to stop in your tracks to go do a match three for a bit so you can continue playing the Super Mario Brothers level is such a funny idea that I can't believe it was greenlit and I can't believe it's good at the end of it. Like at the end of the day, this game is really, really good. Also, for some somehow EA published it, which makes yeah, it even funnier. Game. It's yeah. an EA game. <laughs> Uh, it's fun. I, rem- I remember finding this game initially by doing a bunch of YouTube searches for like videos of people that were like underrated DS games or like my favorite DS games and just going back like literally a whole decade to see what people uploaded to YouTube, even more than a decade in some cases. And I, d- I found a video of somebody who was like, these are my favorite DS games from one of the people who developed this game like one of the developers oh, no of henry hatsworth and it was so funny seeing it pop up like at the end of the list was like my number one favorite nintendo ds game is henry hatsworth and i should be clear that i like worked on this game i was a developer on it and i'm not just <laughs> saying that because i worked on it he, uh-huh. and he goes into this whole spiel about how it was like you know it was it was tough work it was hard to get the game right but i'm so proud of what it is at the end and i was like i can't believe that this game is his number one like i guess it probably is just because he worked on it <laughs> like i know he said yeah. it wasn't but like right there's no way that that's true and then i i sat down and played it based on that and was like floored by it like i love i love the blending of these two games i think i think it works so well it really is a standout for me like it's it's towards it's not like at the top of my list but like it's towards the top like it's like it's in contention for the top 10 for me yeah me too it's I, i've been making a list of like okay what are the candidates which i have like currently like 32 yeah so like you know it's gonna be hard to like make a list of 10 out of that and that will probably only grow as i like get through the total yeah. backlog but the, <laughs> this game it, it just stands out because it's so weird and it's such a it's such a objectively bad idea that they somehow like completely nail yeah there's another game that you and i have talked about a little yeah. bit here uh medios which is a game by yeah. by uh, sakurai and hal labs which is really great and like very much kind of like a cult classic on the ds that works very similarly in terms of the way the match three works where it's like a bunch of blocks falling down and instead of only being able to move them left and right you can only move them vertically up and down and you have to match uh you have to match stuff and when you match three across it kind of adds these like jet engines 
to the bottom where you match and then they start lifting up into the air. And if you can match three again in that group that's lifting off into the air, then they kind of rocket out into space. And that's how you clear them out. So you have to like match three twice to be able to remove stuff. And I got really into Medios pretty early on into this experience of playing a bunch of DS stuff because like I'd always heard about it. I wanted to check it out. I thought it was really cool, but I'd never been able to actually play it. And and I got really into it early on. And then I went on to play Henry Hatsworth and was like, oh, this is just Medios plus another game at the same time. Like this is like I'm getting everything I liked out of Medios and also this absolutely bananas story uh, and, and platforming experience. And uh, it's just it's just good. It's just a good video game. It's so OK. Do you mind if I move on to a different game? I mean, I'm hurt a little bit that Henry, but Henry will come back like all good adventures. And this is Henry related. I want to be clear. I'm bringing up this game because it's related to Henry Hatsworth. Of course, of course. There's another game on the DS that I've been playing recently that I hadn't really heard of, but I, I had seen somebody mention somewhere in doing research that I was like, really really curious about but had no idea really what it was um and it's called retro game challenge which very similar to henry hatsworth and the puzzling adventure like the box art for this game is literally just like a black void and it just says retro game challenge on it in like arcade style font and that's all it is (laughs) that's the that's the entirety of the box art if you had handed that to me i would have been so disappointed (laughs) like if you had handed that to me i would be like what the hell is this like what what is your assumption based off that have you played it yet you haven't right I haven't no. Okay, what is your what do you, what do you think the game is? If you handed me a game called Retro Game Challenge, I would expect it to be like uh weird trials of of old games that already exist. So like like a the sort of mashup of that. Like yes. a, oh like be as fast as Mario or you know like beat this Mario level in this time or like yeah. you know whatever. A col- a collection of retro games. Yes, yes. where there's like some kind of challenge involved. Okay, cool. That is almost correct. What the <laughs> You start the game and immediately you're confronted with a Star Wars text crawl. Oh, no. That introduces you to this guy who was so good at retro games in the 80s that he became a retro game. (laughs) And you're you're presented with his like digital face as he tells you, I've captured you in your Nintendo DS and I'm going to make you compete against me at retro games by transforming you into a child in the 1980s and send you back in time to play against myself when I was a child in the 80s. So all of that happens right at the top. Oh, my God. And you immediately are then launched into the video game where on the bottom screen, it's you, you like create a character and it's you sitting next to the child version of this guy in the 80s sitting in front of your TV and like a big, uh, a big like bookshelf filled with magazines and like video game guides. And there's like a super Famicom sitting right in front of you. Immediately the game throws a curveball because none of the games you're playing are actually real. They're all like ripoffs or like strange oh God, deviations of other games. So the the guy is like, I, I'm going to need you to get to stage five in this game called like Cosmic Voyage or Cosmic Clash or I forget. I forget what the what the name of the first one is. And you start playing it. And immediately I was like, this just seems like a Galaga ripoff. Yeah, this is kind of strange. It just it just feels and plays exactly like Galaga. I, I didn't really question it because at the time in in like the early to mid 80s, that was like rampant. That was like what so many games were. We're like, oh, this is Centipede. Cool. We're just going to make another version of it that isn't called Centipede. And like we're going to swap out the bugs for like ships or something, you know, like yeah. that was just such a common trend at that time in, in video game development. Um, Just like kind of quick cash grab kind of stuff uh, just to like fill up arcades that I didn't really question this thing. Uh, 
Um, so you beat that first challenge. And while you're playing, this is the thing that I'm absolutely obsessed with. And this is what reminds me of Henry Hatsworth. <laughs> while you're playing the game, it's on the top screen. It's all button controls. So you're like playing like you would like, you know, any NES game while you're playing on the top screen on the bottom screen in full 3D is you and and the kid sitting in front of the TV and he will like cheer you on or dunk on you as you're playing, depending on what you're doing. And you just get this feeling of like, I am sitting in this room like I did when I was in middle school or high school, like playing a game with my friend like that is they evoke that feeling so strongly. It's absolutely incredible. Just devote this the whole bottom screen to just this 3D representation of two kids hanging out playing video games is so fun. And at any point you can pause the game and then move to the bottom screen and like go over to his bookshelf and start reading like game guides and like strategy guides and stuff or like the manual for the game or whatever. And weirdly gets into this like almost tunic energy where you can like you can like read like about cheat codes and stuff for the games you're playing and like use those to get further in the game or like uh, one of the challenges for the first game once you get to it I think it's like the third or fourth one is like go through three warp gates up until that point I had gotten to stage like 15 or 16 and had never seen any warp gates so I was like what the hell is a warp gate how do I do that I don't understand where warp gates factor into this game at all and went to go read the guide and got to page like 17 of this guide that was like here's how warp gates work and like explained in great detail how this worked it was like oh my god I have to go and actually read all these manuals these are like important pieces of information for me to consume (laughs) to be able to beat this guy's weird video game challenges and over time you'll continue to make your way through different games so like the next one is like almost ninja gaiden but not really eventually you'll play like a sequel to that game on the super nintendo instead of the nes so like it's way more high fidelity and way more interesting but the entire time you're thrust between playing these games on the top screen and just hanging out with your buddy on the bottom screen and i i love that i love that use of the two screens it feels in a henry hatsworth way like an absolutely (laughs) stupid idea that so works for some reason i i love that henry hatsworth way has become the adjective for exactly that it's like yes a bad idea done excellently well yeah <laughs> or, or you know pulled it off in some it's, way it's it's truly remarkable it's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable video game i'm excited for you to play it because i me too it, it's yeah. another one like henry hatsworth where like i went to go turn it on and was like this seems very silly and then found myself getting way way too invested in it like i, yeah. I played retro game challenge yesterday for a very long time I loved it. <laughs> henry henry hatsworth i mean it took me 90 minutes to beat the first level. <laughs> maybe not that long but it was it was longer than you would think a one one stage would take yeah yeah in a game called henry hatsworth and the puzzling adventure yeah. which I, I just had to google because i'm like were there other adventures there sadly were not it's the only one but i love that it has a subtitle what a bummer yeah, I, I don't know. Those those two games are like huge standouts that are like so under the radar weird games. But I mean, there are some other ones I've been playing that I that I'm absolutely stoked about. You and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about Yoshi's Island DS. Yeah. So I've been really curious about this one because I really, really love the original Yoshi's Island. I mean, like most people, it was a it was a big hit on the Super <laughs> Nintendo. But that was also like a very foundational game for me growing up because like I would say like most of my early childhood was the N64, but like prior to that, like my sister and I had a Super Nintendo and that's where we played like a lot of Kirby Superstar, the co-op and that, Mm -hmm. Donkey Kong Country too. But uh, Yoshi's Island always felt like the the weird one for me. I always had a kind of a personal attachment to it because Super Mario World felt like this like uh, Elden Ring at the time, like unknowable world where there's so many secrets and so many like cool things to uncover. 
Um, and Yoshi's Island felt like it was it was set, it, on the cartridge. It said Super Mario World 2. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like five, be like, how is this the second one? <laughs> <laughs> and I've always I've always been really attached to it for that reason. It's such a moment that is Nintendo at their best where the sequel is like unrecognizable. Like mm. there's there's maybe some kind of through line. But like if you were to look at two games back to back, it's like other than now Yoshi is the one in control because Yoshi is treated very cruelly in Super Mario World. There yes. are so many levels that incentivize you to like jump off Yoshi to get to a point. And Yoshi just like falls down and, and presumably dies. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. And then a new one hatches. So I like the idea that, okay, you know, Yoshi's getting their redemption. But it weirdly had this like very creative health system where like when you got hit, baby Mario was in the bubble and you had like a number of seconds to get them back. And like the fact that time was health was really interesting to me. Mm. It's a beautiful game. It's a great platformer. It's one of the best. And I didn't really know there were any other follow ups to that because Yoshi since Yoshi's Island has kind of taken a turn towards a more general audience, which is great. It's good that Nintendo has some series that are like very much for a younger audience, like yeah. really young. Absolutely. You know, because I think a lot of their like flagship series tend to lean like, you know, OK, like you, you need to have an understanding of games in some capacity to enjoy this, like Breath of the Wild or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or be like an adult with like an adult's mind to understand it. But there needs to be something for like a three year old to play or whatever. And like a lot of Yoshi games since have been that like Wooly World and games that they're just beautiful and colorful and inviting and fun and nice. But I've always kind of been like, where's that Yoshi's Island? Where's the where's the Yoshi (laughs) game for me? Where's the where's the content for me? Um, The Game Boy Advance Yoshi's Island is sick. And I remember loving that as a kid. That's a straight up port of the Super Nintendo one. And I really wanted to put that on my list for the Game Boy Advance episode. But I'm like, it's really the same game. And like, you might as well just play the Super Nintendo one on, on your Switch. Yeah, it's, or it's like, just a port. They're, they're yeah. not really trying to do a whole lot outside of that. So, you know, that that was kind of a bummer. And then there's another Yoshi's Island game on the DS. It's, it's sort of like a tech demo for the touch screen. So it's like, maybe Mario's in the sky. Make sure he doesn't get hit. Yeah. Yoshi touch and go. Yeah. Which is like, it's cute, but it's also like okay like i know how the touch controls work thanks um but then there's yoshi's island ds which i didn't really know what it was I'm like is this another port is this another like game for babies i'm growing up i want a cool game i don't know what that was but uh it's a totally new voice for you yeah every now and then a new one shows up and i'm like what is this uh anyway <laughs> yoshi's island ds i would say is straight up a sequel to the Yoshi's Island for Super Nintendo, both narratively in a very strange way uh, and also just in functionality. I love it. I'm so happy. I'm actually surprised people don't talk about it more. Me too, Steven. I mean, it's kind of a given. It's a flagship Nintendo game on the best-selling console of Nintendo's library. So it's like, I don't think it's something that needs to be said explicitly. But I think when you consider like, what are the best Mario games? What are the best Nintendo games? What are the best Nintendo games for the DS? This is taking what Yoshi's Island did well, the sequel to Super Mario World, and being a sequel to that idea. Yeah. And I think by using both screens, what they really focus on in in Yoshi's Island DS is verticality and allowing the player to see more of the sky and to have more things to aim eggs at. Seems like a small decision, but like... It creates a world full of secrets in a way that I loved about Super Mario World. Like Mm. there's the basic platforming that is like tried and true. We love it. We liked it already. It's great. But then there's like all this other stuff that's like accentuated by the dual screens. I think that this is one of the games, too, where like having that format and the hardware really does elevate the experience and like 
it's just really good. I mean, it's hard to really put into words. Like, it, there's a reason we don't talk about Mario locks. It's like, what do you say? It's just like, it's right. good. <laughs> it jumps. It's fun. But I think that this is like continuing stuff that was really only done in Yoshi's Island and kind of never again since. Like, right. I think even Yoshi's story, which I loved, is going in a different direction from Yoshi's Island. This is really the only game I've played that seems to show Nintendo's interest in like going down this road more. I think I'm, I think I might've brought this up like years ago, early in our show when Yoshi's Island first came to the switch in that it's sort of this like kind of enigma of Nintendo's library where like they haven't really mined that for additional ideas since then. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy to find Yoshi's Island DS and be like, Oh, okay. Like there was a follow-up. Not that there always has to be more of something, but like there were a lot of really cool ideas in Yoshi's Island on the super Nintendo and so far, the DS one is like really following up on that and like adding even more and exploring that world in a mechanical way that is thrilling to experience. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm, I'm a big fan. I don't have a whole lot to add to that outside of I played this game a lot when I was a kid and really loved it. And I've always had a like pretty heavy fondness for it um, and was really excited to revisit it. Kind of like I was if you if you've listened to the Game Boy Advance bonus, um, like I was about Kirby Nightmare and Dreamland and revisiting that and being like, oh, yeah, totally well-founded love for this thing. It really it really stands head and shoulders above most of the other stuff. And I, I feel similarly about Yoshi's Island DS like this game really owns still. It's still so good uh, and, and definitely should be in that conversation. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I started laughing because I was thinking about the plot, which is like Kamek steals all the babies like in because in the first game it was he kidnapped mario and luigi and this time i think you're saving luigi and like every baby in mushroom kingdom yeah it's like it's it's more of a like yoshi and baby mario are teaming up to save the babies but i remember my friend bobby like somewhere in the mario wiki it says kamek is the arch enemy of yoshi and he's like imagine being the arch nemesis of mario's horse like (laughs) how did did that happen I, I need to give a shout out to Bobby for that one because I think about that constantly when I'm playing this. Like, why so good. <laughs> why do you settle for his horse? I love that. But yeah, I I think it's an incredible game. I I definitely a strong contender for me. And uh, if not, I'm glad we got a chance to highlight it in this episode. Yeah, it's definitely worth experiencing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm also unclear if it's going to make it into the top ten, but it's really good. Um, yeah. One one other thing I wanted to bring up before we move on from Nintendo DS stuff and like get to wrapping up is there are like a billion Dragon Quest games on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously I'm a big Dragon Quest fan. You're a big Dragon Quest fan. I feel like the past couple of years have been us like getting very into Dragon Quest. I don't know if it's been said explicitly out loud on the show, but I think one of the things that makes our love for Dragon Quest really special for me is the fact that we both became a fan because of the show like i feel mm-hmm. like there are a lot of games where like you have an experience with it and then i experience it for the first time or vice versa commonly like yeah i'll be like oh you should play jrpgs and you're like okay and now here we are yeah um but dragon quest we like found out together that we both liked it which i thought was really cool like, yeah. that's that's been a really special experience for I, us. I think specifically also like going into playing dragon quest 11 you bouncing off of it and being like i don't know if this is for me and me getting the switch version and being like no 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 no, you need to play the switch version and then you will like it and finding out that that was the case really fun uh it's worth yeah. mentioning uh, just now that i mentioned that you can go play the ps4 version now because they've updated it with all the switch version content so. and uh xbox as well was that yes. that's actually where i primarily played it was on game pass and then i bought it again yes it's on game pass yeah. right now which is where i've been playing it and streaming it a little bit as well all that haven't been said there are like a billion dragon quest games on nintendo ds 
Quest. There's like a whole bunch of spinoffs. They rebuilt from the ground up four, five and six. It was the first time five had ever been released in the West. There's like a lot of stuff going on here with Dragon Quest. There, the, the spinoffs uh, that are notable, at least, are Rocket Slime, which is absolutely a wild concept. Dragon Quest Monsters Joker one and two, which I had never really heard of, didn't really know even what they were until I launched into the first one um, and realized very quickly that it's just Pokemon. Like it's just oh. <laughs> it's just straight up Pokemon, but with Dragon Quest. And the first one is like fine. The second one is shockingly good. The second one I, I'm actually really excited to talk about more at length, I think, in that episode. Again, not not sure if it'll be in the top 10, but like I'm definitely gonna want to talk about it more. But after playing a couple hours of Dragon Quest Monsters Joker 2, uh, my feeling about it very quickly is I understand why people were upset that Pokemon had been so stagnant for so long. Like yeah. playing that game on the Nintendo DS, knowing it came out around like 2009, 2008, somewhere in that vicinity, and then matching that up against where Pokemon was at at the time and where it had, where it had stayed for multiple years after that. I, I talked about this a lot when playing um, Monster Hunter Stories 2. And the first Monster Hunter Stories was like, this is giving me what a lot of people say they want from Pokemon. Dragon Quest Monsters, like straight up is that. Like Dragon Quest Monsters is that on Nintendo hardware alongside Pokemon games of the time. And it's ama- like full 3D monsters out in the world, capture them, collect them, name them, do all the same stuff that you're doing in Pokemon, but like is going after like what Pokemon Legends Arceus was doing and what it seems like Sword <laughs> and Shield is doing and, and yeah. this new one that's coming out at the end of the year. Like it's doing all of that, but on the Nintendo DS and it's exhilarating. It's like wow. incredible to play that. But the big the big ones for me outside of all the spinoffs were like, what are what, how do I feel about four, five and six, um, which are like obviously monumental undertakings to play all three of those games. Um, yeah. You know, even if we were just like, we're just going to play Dragon Quest games on the DS, like that would also take a whole year. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be a situation where I have finished all of these games before we get there. I think we've mentioned that more than once, but like worth stating again, like I'm not going to finish all of these Dragon Quest games, but man, are they good? Uh, four and five specifically six has always been kind of like iffy for the fandom and I understand why now having played a bunch of it but four and five are really really stellar and I know you feel very strongly about Dragon Quest five yeah and I picked it up yesterday to play it for like 45 minutes and ended up playing it for like four straight hours yesterday like Dragon Quest five really is hard to beat it's real it's really like maybe one of the best games ever like, yeah, like I, I, I know that uh, sounds hyperbolic, but like it really is no, actually it is. maybe one of the best games ever. It really is. I um, this is the one you surprised me with, which I I, I actually got chills when you said it. I was like, oh, <laughs> here we go. I've mentioned it before. Actually, the first time I played Dragon Quest Five was on mobile, which is actually a pretty good place it's to a play great it. port. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a DS and you don't really have a reasonable way of getting one, I think that it's it's more than functional every now and then there's a dungeon where the puzzle is like push this rock slightly to this direction and that's going to be a nightmare but mm-hmm. most of the experience will be will be fine and it is like it is a game that benefits from being handheld because it's, it's a very like i find there's an intimacy with handheld systems that like this might be a stretch but i, I found that whenever i see a play or any kind of live theater i am emotionally on board faster than I would be in a movie. There's something about being mm. there that makes me more attached and more immersed in what's happening. Not to say like I'm disinterested for a movie, but it it takes more work for a film to get me to care about the characters than a play when like 
again, the, the personal aspect of live theater is, is hard to beat when it comes to like emotional immediacy. And I find similar, not to say like handheld is a play, but like uh, when I play handheld stuff, like just something about holding it near me is is more immersive than like if I'm on my couch watching the big screen. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to describe, but I think especially for stuff like Ace Attorney, where it's like largely a visual novel, like I love having that handheld because like the music is so relaxing. It kind of really puts you there even though the game is like so over the top and cartoony. And Dragon Quest V is, is a emotional roller coaster of a game. I think that Dragon Quest tends to be fairly light. It always kind of catches you off guard. We've mentioned this a lot where like every Dragon Quest game is kind of occupying a very similar space mm-hmm. and they are all kind of seen as like, here's sort of the tried and true formula. You know, you know exactly what you're getting into. But like at the same time, every Dragon Quest game like is going for something very different. You know what the flavor is going to be, but like you don't know what the focus is going to be and what the emotional mood is going to be. Like Eleven is is very bright and cheerful until suddenly the drama is kind of like a slow burn. We're like, yeah, that matches up with everything without saying too much about the story for spoilers. The scale of five is you're essentially playing through the main character's life the whole game. You start off as a kid and then you end up as like a, a father of a family and you actually adventure with your family at some point, which rules and this is actually the game that i think started the monster spinoffs because a mechanic is whenever you beat an enemy there's like a hidden chance that they might ask to join your team so for a large part of the game it's just like the hero and like three slimes or like yeah (laughs) uh you know whatever if you can get night slime do it oh my god that dude has (laughs) saved me so many times but um i think that also helps because these games tend to be like grindy not in a bad way i think it actually dragon quest kind of has this magic trick of like making grinding feel like the lower beats of a grand adventure like it it kind of grounds me in the world to just say okay this playthrough i'm just gonna like level up five times i'm not even gonna try to like advance the plot i'm just gonna like focus on getting better Mm. and i think the fact that five adds that hidden element of getting a monster out of it sort of like makes that process feel more entertaining absolutely you never really know what's going to happen this is one that's like absolutely going to make my list (laughs) yes it's it's very clear and there's also a world where like you know we we've said like which if we do a dragon quest like do we choose one to be the stand-in otherwise like half our list is dragon quest i'm probably going to go for one if i feel really strongly i'm really excited to play four so like we'll see what happens but five i think once I'm once I'm fully done with it I haven't finished the game entirely but once I'm like finished with it I imagine it will be like I I consider 11 a masterpiece but I think on like a storytelling level this game is the best one the way this game captures what it's like to be a kid and like not really have any immediate task and have to rely on your parents to like advance anything like Mm -hmm. the, the first act of the game is just like your father Pankraz doing something and he says don't get in trouble and you just have to find a way to get in trouble to like (laughs) see what exists yeah and the the harsh pivot and perception from being a child to then being a young adult and like what hardships come with that what's happened to your life in the interim to then becoming an adult that other people rely on like the game is really about being a parent and being a father and also being like there for other people the the monster recruitment element of it is really in service of like parenting weirdly enough and that sort of selfless act i think something brilliant is that like if you play enough Dragon Quest games, you'll notice that like certain characters have certain move sets. And this is the one game where the hero is given like a healer's move pool. You're given like wind spells and healing. And like you're stronger than a healer would normally be. Yeah. 
but usually the hero gets like lightning or you know whatever and in this game you're given abilities that nurture the rest of the party which is so beautiful i yeah. mean it's this one and and yeah. 11 weirdly enough being yeah, the first true. one that we played that's the other one where uh your your companionship with your party is is at the forefront of everything else uh and because of that the first spell that you're given in both of those games is heal which is that's so true cool. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, 11 um, is, is referential to like every other Dragon Quest game about a million <laughs> and a half ways. And that's just one of the ways in which it's referring to five. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I've pretty much loved every Dragon Quest game I've played. I think like the older ones I haven't latched onto as much like three. I like enjoyed, but didn't really get super into. I'm waiting for like a better way to play three because I wasn't crazy about the switch port. I did not like the switch port very much either. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind which of is kind of unfortunate because yeah. that's a big one for a lot of people. Five is like like. It's just one of those games. It's like hard to really not recommend on just like a universal level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like not like even if you don't like RPGs, it's worth pushing through to experience this journey and like this way of telling this story. Yeah, and I I think if you're curious, like why does this count for our list? For example, is like this is a ground up remake of a thing that didn't exist in the United States until that point. There's a there's a company that uh, Square tapped on to do this with a bunch of games, four, five and six in particular. Um, they also did like a Japan only PS2 port of five, which is wild looking, which I would love to play one day if I can get like a fan translation yeah. patch in there. But there's also Dragon Quest nine, which is like I brought it up on the show before and was a game built from the ground up for the Nintendo Switch, like by the main enix team specifically with multiplayer in mind which is very interesting to play solo without the ability to play multiplayer because like the nintendo online service for ds is down but there's there's a lot there's a lot going on when it comes to dragon quest on the ds um this is definitely where it's like best represented i would say of all of the platforms that exist Um, but that having been said there is this other angle that i do want to touch on real quick because you and i just heaped so much praise on dragon quest 5 you already mentioned it but it is available on mobile and it's a great port it is the ds port like it is exactly the nintendo ds version of dragon quest 5 on your phone um you can go play it right now i'm bringing this up specifically for dragon quest 4 because there is a there's a pretty big difference between the ds and the mobile version of it it's the same everything for the most part but for some reason on the mobile version you get the party chatter like you can talk to the members of your party and on the ds version you can't which is like hugely problematic for me because that's like one of my favorite aspects of the game the ability in dragon quest 5 to walk around a town and have your party react to literally everything's happening they they map it to the b button so at any point as you're walking around you could just press the b button and your party will like talk about whatever's happening and whatever you're doing and will like comment on things there are like situations you can get into where like you're playing with a you know, a person in your party that like shouldn't be leaving a certain area. And if you like manage to like kind of poke at the edges of the game and figure out a way out of it, they'll be like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. You know, like they'll react to pretty much everything. Dragon Quest four that is technically in the game was in the original release of the game, but is not in the DS version and is only in the mobile version. And that really wow. bums me out. So I started I've played a couple hours of four and have since moved over to the the mobile version for that reason. Um, but what I will say about four, I think you'll like it a lot. But I think because of this huge shift in what is available in the ds and the mobile version i have to imagine it won't make the list because mm. i i feel like mobile is the definitive way to play that game unfortunately I, I remember seeing something about the localization being slightly different between the versions as well is that a thing for four or no uh not that i've noticed oh, okay. um but i don't know maybe I, I i just don't know the games well enough to be like that yeah. clued into <laughs> right, that kind of right. stuff but I, I will say that four, four to me, a lot of people point at three and say this, but four to me feels like the closest 
or like the first time that it really felt like Dragon Quest to me. Like I know, yeah. I know a lot of people point at three and say like, oh, this is the one where like they figured it out because one and two are very much just like very classic kind of fantasy RPGs. And three is the first one that introduces like this kind of big storytelling element has like named people, stuff like that. But uh, four, four is the first one that really, I think, I think takes that and runs with it in a direction that feels like Dragon Quest. Like that's the first one that felt the most like playing a Dragon Quest game. Yeah, I, I always felt with Final Fantasy four in a similar way. Like that is like the first Final Fantasy that feels like the series as we know it today. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some capacity, that series is hard to distinguish. Like, what is a Final Fantasy game? Right, because it changes so often. But like, you know, the first one being kind of a D and D simulator in some ways, and then the second one being like, what if you leveled up by getting hit? Um, four <laughs> four was like narrative first experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So that, that's that's a little bit of Dragon Quest talk, uh, just because I, I was so wrapped up in Dragon Quest five yesterday when I meant to be playing other stuff that like I, I just couldn't <laughs> put it down. So I wanted to bring it. It's up. it's really good. Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It also you the uh, Monsters game reminded me that I, I had a game for Game Boy Color, maybe even Game Boy Pocket like really early 90s. All right. That was called Dragon Warrior Monsters. Yeah, it was before. It, but it was like you were a kid in like a big tree that catches monsters. Is that the first one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, no yeah, way. Dra- Dragon Quest was localized as Dragon Warrior uh, right. in this case. So, uh, yeah, that that was like that's part of that Joker lineage. But it's like, you know, one gotcha, of the earlier ones. Gotcha. Um, I loved that game as a kid. That was yeah. like a real my party were like three haunted trees. It was very scary. Yeah. Stumpies. <laughs> I think they're called. <laughs> I am getting like a better vocabulary for all the different monsters in the game. Like, oh, that's just <laughs> that's just platypunk. No yeah. worries. Yeah. Hey, uh, those games are good. I I think I think you'll really enjoy Joker too. Yeah, I'm always amazed it's at how good cool. the Dragon Quest spinoffs are. I mean, Dragon Quest Builders is like really good. Yeah. Uh, I've only played two, but two is incredible. Yeah. That's like I've also only played two. One of my favorite Dragon Quest games, and it's not a mainline one. Yeah. That's that's again where it kind of gets into this problem where like I don't want to just have my whole list be Dragon Quest. But, like <laughs> what what Square Enix was able to do on the DS is so far and away better than so many other games I played. Like I could make a version of the list if I wasn't limiting myself. That was like a lot of Dragon Quest representation on there. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, they just like knocked it out of the park over and over again. Those remakes of four, five and six are amazing. Nine is like shockingly good and almost takes on this whole new life. If you can only play it solo that I think is really fascinating and like maybe not intentional, but like is a is a cool kind of like accidental narrative direction that it takes. Um, And then all these spinoffs, Rocket Slime and Joker one and two are like awesome. I mean, it's it's shocking honestly brendan i say don't limit yourself i I know we want to get a varied (laughs) list but like if you are sitting down and looking at all the games and those are the ones you feel strongest about that's the right list i'm just too much of a dragon quest fan at this point is the problem i mean but you know it will be from the heart that's true but uh there are a lot of games a lot of games to to talk about yeah yeah hey do you want to take one last break and then we'll wrap up that sounds good to me see you soon bye-bye Hello, we're back. I know I just said uh, before the break that we were going to wrap up. I want to bring up two things very quickly. Number one, right before recording today, I did a stream of Trek to Yomi, which is another uh, game that came straight to Game Pass, Devolver Digital published. It's like a side scrolling samurai game uh, where you kind of play through like an Akira Kurosawa adjacent story. It is. I'll say this. I only played it for an hour and a half before recording, so I I can't speak like fully to how I feel about it. It is kind of disappointing, which was unfortunate, 
but visually is like absolutely stunning. And I, yeah. I, I think the reason I wanted to bring it up on the show specifically, I mean, a it's on Game Pass. So like, you know, go check it out if you're even remotely curious in it. But it just reminded me so much of the Kurosawa mode that they added to Ghost of Tsushima, which was like th- this mode that you could flip it into where the audio would get like really tinny uh, and then they would like throw it into black and white and turn the contrast up. So it would be like this kind of more uh, classic Kurosawa adjacent aesthetic and add like some film grain and stuff. This game is like wildly more successful in terms of trying to recapture that aesthetic, specifically because Ghost of Tsushima was built with color in mind and color is so important to that world. And is like so much of that game is so much of the experience of that game is lost if you throw it into black and white, which is a bummer. Not that it's bad, but like the, the distinct areas of that island and the ways in which color navigates the world and, and allows you to navigate the world, I, I think is unbelievable. I mean, that, that yeah. that's one of the high points of that game for me and turning that off is a bummer. That one village where it's like just bright orange, like it's like fall leaves yes. everywhere. It's such a it's such a warm and welcoming place because yeah. of that. Exactly. Trek to Yomi is built from the ground up to be presented in black and white. And there's no way to turn it off as far as I can tell. Uh, And because of that, just like completely knocks it out of the park in terms of what they were going for aesthetically. I don't think the gameplay is super strong. Uh, If you watch the VOD of that stream, you'll see what I'm talking about. It it, it feels not as weighty as it should be. I, I, I find that in a lot of cases, like my inputs aren't what my character on the screen isn't doing what I think it, they should be doing based on the things that I'm pressing. Uh, and, you know, things like parry windows and stuff feel very, very mushy and weird. So from a gameplay perspective, like it's not all there, but it's not bad. It's like passable. So if, if you're looking for like a game to check out on Game Pass, I would recommend checking it out. It's it's interesting. There's like this whole kind of larger conversation. Again, if you watch the VOD, you can see what I'm talking about. But there's this whole larger conversation about like the representation and the appropriation going on here that I think is is worth discussing as well. Um, but just a quick passing, like, Hey, check this out. If you're remotely curious about it, or maybe you hadn't heard about it, that and citizen sleeper came out on the same day, which was wild. Uh, just two cool indie games. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up just cause like, it's so hard to not mention it on literally every episode of the show since the first one I brought it up, but I play super auto pets every day still like <laughs> literally every single day of my life. I spend a portion of it playing super auto pets. Just wanted to give another like full throated shout out to that game uh which continues to get like new updates and new modes and new stuff like they're really they're really killing it with that thing uh it's really good super auto pets it's on mobile it's fun yeah i it is the one game though that you've recommended that people have been like they've been mad that that it's now part of their life yes you know yeah uh i've <laughs> i've seen it corrupt people in my inner circle yeah it's true and uh i'm one of them fully corrupted fully corrupted and and here you are spreading the play again. I mean, it's it's a fun game. It's perfectly fine to play. It's it's, <laughs> it be, it's uh, I didn't have this experience, but a lot of people have trouble putting it down because it's so gratifying that the loop of it is hard to resist. For real, it really yeah. is. Yeah, uh, it's really good. Uh, I had I had a full month, the entire month of April, I didn't win once. Wow, which was pretty wild. And uh, now I'm rolling in wins. It's May, and I'm I'm killing it. Spring is here, new beginnings. Spring is know? here, new beginnings. Hey. Speaking of new beginnings, do you want to end the episode of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You need shadow for there to be light. Um, uh-huh. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Into the cast that online is our hub for everything. Places to listen to the show. You can review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We've seen a lot of recent reviews. Thank you for that. A lot of Olive Garden themed ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, everybody. Lovely to see that. the brand reinforced. What's going on? Oh, we've got an upcoming bonus this month. Uh, so the Undertale bonus, when this comes out, should be out soon if not already but i think it will be after this and we also have our bonus planned for may uh or for you know 
the next bonus, sometimes there's overlap with months. We're going to do Pokemon Red and Blue for our next bonus. Very excited for that. That'll be like a short and sweet one, I think. I mean, it'll probably be three hours, but at least the prep work will be short and sweet yeah. for us. Because again, we're in sort of crunch mode for uh, the DS episode. So we didn't want to give ourselves too much to do, but I think it'll be a really, really fun game to revisit and talk about. Um, and yeah. just how much of our childhood is a coupled with that. And we talk about Pokemon enough to like, I think gain a lot of insight from going back to the very beginning and just seeing like how that feels compared to now. I found it very cool playing the original. Um, yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot to say already, and we're not even recording that for another couple of weeks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Uh, I beat Lieutenant Surge recently. Oh, he's at. a tough one. Yeah, Lieutenant Surge is the reason I check every garbage can and every Pokemon game. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much like you can't stop playing Super Auto Pets, I can't stop looking in garbage because of Lieutenant Surge. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to. Thanks, Lieutenant Surge. Yeah, there's a lot of you know. I want to save it for the episode. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I think I think that's it. Special thanks to our patrons. Uh, again, we've seen another boost in support. Thank you so much. Uh, more content on the horizon for patrons. And yeah, I'm just really excited for the beginning of a new season. It's always a big event for us. And um, I'm really excited to see how that episode comes out. I think we're planning on maybe doing that in person if possible. So, you know, either way, it will be a fun time, but it'll be nice if we can do that together like we do for Game of the Year episodes. Yeah, I do also want to quickly mention again, uh, our YouTube and Twitch has been more active recently. So, you know, we're in one of those spells where we're making a lot of stuff on video and streaming. So tune in. Thank you to everybody who's been doing that. Yeah, again, into the cast online, we'll have links to both of those places, but you can find us pretty easily. Yeah, cool. cool. Wow. Uh, with that, my name is Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Goodbye. Farewell. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great week. Garbage. The online.